chapter 7. Um, we're going to be dealing with 26, 27, 28, and 29 today. And we're also going to be looking in 1 Kings, as well as uh, going over and looking at some New Testament scripture. Uh, before we open up in prayer, I would also ask a special prayer. Uh, and this is going to make sense um, when we get into this, uh, it may not make a lot of sense now, but um, ask us that you would pray for one another, in particular, uh, anyone who may have come here tonight and may be struggling with sin. Um, we're going to be talking about a very specific kind of struggle tonight, but uh, I hope that uh, we can take away from this uh, some truth that can be applied to all of our struggle. Um, and in particular, uh, I ask that you pray for those who are struggling with addictions. Um, and uh, whether they're addicted because they know not Christ, or whether they're addicted because they know not the power of Christ, um, that if the first they would come to know Him, and if the second they would know Him more. So, let's pray. My Lord, this is not what I expected. When I spoke those words so many years ago, Lord, I know that you are sovereign. I know that your ways are perfect, yet they are beyond seeking out. Though may, we may try, we can never, never search the depths of your wisdom and your knowledge. Lord, I pray that you would Calm my spirit, Lord, that I could speak your word so that your people could be affected by your word because it's not in me speaking, Lord, but it's in you moving. So I ask that you would move here tonight, Lord, those who find themselves struggling. Those who know all too well what it's like to count the days, Lord, and to fail and to recount the days. Those who may be here tonight,
And they may be questioning if, if freedom is even possible. Lord, I pray that you would show us tonight that freedom reigns in this place. Lord, I'm so afraid and I'm so shameful of who I was. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for crying. All the days of my life. Lord, let my life be poured out for your glory. Teach us now from your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight we're going to be covering the passage of text in which God revealed to me that He was calling me to preach. And if you've read ahead, that's going to be very odd to you. If you haven't read ahead, I want us to go ahead and read the text now so that it will seem odd to you. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. I don't know, do we have an NIV or something? It falls pretty closely by what this says. There's only a handful of words that are different there. If you would follow with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to start back and recover one verse that we picked up with last time. And I would mentioned last time that what we discovered in that study was going to apply here. And the thought was really going to be... Finish. So I hope what, what we came to the conclusion of last time is that we are not good and we are not wise. And that covers all of us. We are not good and we are not wise. And if you understand that, then what we find next in this passage will start to make sense. Verse 25, I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is madness. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. Her passion is a snare and her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. This is my conclusion, says the teacher. 
I discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle. I have searched repeatedly. I have not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous, but not one woman. But I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. So a couple of years ago, as I was picking the next book that I was going to spend some time in, I came to Ecclesiastes. I picked it up and I began reading it and I thought, that is an odd book. And it says a lot of strange things in it. And it piqued my curiosity and I began studying it. And I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied. And I thought, you know, this would make a good book for a Bible study. So we started a Bible study. And I kept studying, and I kept studying. And then one day it clicked what this was. And it fell on me like a ton of bricks. What we're going to find is the last part of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, though it may not be pretty, and though it may not be perfect, is repentance. And oftentimes, I think what we'll find is that our repentance is oftentimes not pretty, is oftentimes not perfect, but true repentance, true repentance is perfect because it's made perfect in Christ. So why would this passage of text, of all the passages of text that I could have come across in Scripture, why why this passage of text? Would I know when it clicked that the, that God had for me to preach? We would have to rewind back now 12 years, really further back than that. 2000, between the year 2000 and the middle of 2002, or no, excuse me, 2000 and, yeah, 2, June 26, actually. I looked the date up. I haven't looked the date up because. I stopped counting the days, and again, that'll that'll make sense in a little bit. I had to look the date up because I had stopped counting the days. Because when we count the days, we are not free. It's not until we know who to count in and who to count on. It's not until ultimately we know this virtuous man we can count ourselves free. So from the age of 12 to the preaching of a man named Paul Washer in 2002, uh, I had begun a spiraling downward path 
in sin, ultimately ending in addiction to pornography. And I know that it was addiction because when I wanted to stop, I could not stop. I found myself without the strength, without the desire to stop. And then a man preached a message, and God moved in my heart and led me to repentance. And from that day to today, God has been leading me down a path that I did not see coming. You see, from 2000 to the time that I heard this message preached that changed my life, I began to try to free myself. Yet I found myself enslaved. So what would I do? I'm going to be free. And I was determined to be free. So I would fight. And I would count the days. Let me get to seven. Let me get to a month. Let me get to 90 days. 90 days never came. Let me start over. Let me count the days. 90 days never came. I found myself enslaved to my own desires. Needing to be set free. This is what we find here. I want us to turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read about King Solomon. Tonight's message is primarily for the man. And I've preached this message a thousand times in in the last 12 years. 10,000 times in the last 12 years. You see, I promised God in those struggles, Lord, if you would show me how to be free. I promise you I'll tell others how to be free. If you'll show me how to stay free, I'll tell others how to stay free. So if you're dealing tonight with any kind of addictions, with any kind of destructive patterns in your life, I pray that you would listen closely. Men, listen to the warning. Again, this applies across the board to any addictions. Freedom is real. Hear me. Freedom is real. And you cannot do it. 
Let's see what we find out about Solomon, this man who wrote this book. First Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, You must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Men... I want you to hear me. I've looked at the statistics. Right? I know as I stand up here that you hear me. I know you hear me. Has your heart been turned to idolatry? Have they led you astray? Have they bound you up? Are you serving other gods? Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyways. I want you to understand this. You know not to, friend. But knowing not to is not the same as being free. Whatever sin you are enslaved by, the law cannot free you from that sin. Knowing not to just makes it worse. It just enslaves you worse. You know what I'm talking about. You insist, just as Solomon insisted, you insist on loving them anyways. Verse 3, He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. I'll read that again. That sounds like a big number. 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Somebody who's good at math, can you give me the number of those added up? A thousand? Remember that. Remember that. That's going to matter when we go back and we start looking again in, in Ecclesiastes. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Truth be told. Truth be told. You want to know what I was thinking as I was 
reading through that. His number seems low. Men, this is a warning to you. Be not insistent on your sin. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. When we disobey God, why is it that it strikes us as strange? Why is it that it strikes us as strange? That the things that He tells us will come of us when we turn from Him, in fact, come of us when we turn from Him. He warns us against sin. Yet we insist on sin. And you can be guaranteed that the result of your sin will come. And the result of sin is death. Across the board, your sin will lead you to death. Verse 4, in Solomon's old age, he turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Verse 7, On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Shemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for building incense and sacrificing to their gods. Men... Don't be fooled into thinking that you won't be led astray. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Don't be fooled into thinking that you have it under control. Because you do not have it under control. It has you under control. What you'll find is that in your life, you set up shrines and altars to other gods instead of the one true God in which you should be worshiping. Verse 9, the Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord. The Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, he had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. 
So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Easy answer here. What was the result of his sinfulness? What was the result of his sinfulness? The destruction of his kingdom. God's punishment on you will be just. And do not think that he will not punish you for your sinfulness. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm, man, I'm sorry that this is not a fun one. Really? Really? I'm doing my best not to yell. Verse 26. What did he discover? Now here, here's the thing that I want us to understand. Is that God is not hard with us. God does not punish us. For the sake of punishing us. God does not wreck our world for the sake of wrecking our world. Because he had nothing better to do. He does this to bring us to repentance. All of this to bring us to repentance. What have we learned in Ecclesiastes thus far? Everything under the sun is in vain. is meaningless, pointless, and void. This includes our attempts at righteousness. This includes our attempts at vain religion. This includes our attempts at chasing after the world, chasing after idolatries. This includes the lustful chasing after of the man's heart. This is why I tell you that you don't have it under control, man. Because you are not wiser than Solomon was. And Solomon was apparently not wise enough. Who are we? That's the question that we were looking at last week. Who are we? Are we good and wise? Are we good and wise? What should that lead us to? When we know that we stand before a just and mighty God. Should lead us to fear. If all we have is what's found under the sun. Because we have no hope of overcoming. 
If you're an alcoholic, if you're a porn addict, if you're a sex addict, if you're a drug addict, every single one of you, whether or not you think it or not, are sin addicts. Unless you've been set free by Christ. I thank God that I at least realized what I was. Because some of you don't know yet. Because if you knew who you were, and you knew who He was, how holy and righteous you would know that no amount of good works is going to overrun the amount of evil that you are without Him. No amount. You may look at Solomon and you may think, seriously, a thousand women, dude? Come on, man. Did it take a thousand for you to realize that ain't one of them worth your soul? What's worth yours? What's worth yours? What are you selling out for now? What are you chasing after now? Is it sex? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it looking good in front of your friends? Ladies, how many of you want to be one of those thousand? How many of you? Please raise your hands. How many of you want to say I was one of the thousands of the king? Does it sound like anything you'd want to do? But how, how many of you spend your lives worrying about what we think of you? Tell me you don't want to be one of the thousand. When you look at him and you think, what a pig, what a dog. How many times, how many times have you thought, I want him to see me like this? And I'm not talking about your husbands. I'm not one of you stand back there, sit back there and look at me self-righteously. Do you know why? Because we're all in the same place. Every one of us in need of something more than what this world has to offer. Some of us realizing it. Others not yet realizing it. Do you follow me? How many of you think that apart from Christ, you stand before an almighty, holy and righteous God and look better than Solomon? How many of you think that? Because if you do, you're wrong. 
Each and every one of us on our best days. On the scale of holiness would be closer to Adolf Hitler than Christ on our best day. Paul on his best day. Mustering all the righteousness that he could muster with the law. Do you know what he would find? Oh, what a miserable man that I am. That's what he says. Read the book. We're going to go there. We're going to go there. God, that we would worship you because we know what you've done for us. Not because it's something that we do because there's things on the screen. Or, or pretty music that's playing. And I love the music, don't get me wrong. How much of what we do is vanity because we think somehow we've merited the ability to worship an almighty God. We've been fooled into this. This is a lie. We're not worthy. That's what makes grace so amazing. That when we get that, that the one man who was righteous, who was holy, who was sinless, the one virtuous man, that if you would find him, you would repent. Let's read the text. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. Her passion is a snare. Her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her. I want, I want, us to, I want to point this verse out because it's going to be important when we look at another passage of text. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her. So therefore, the question we should be asking is, who is pleasing to God? Now, I'm going to throw this out there. Are you pleasing to God because of the works that you do? No. Why? Because what we should have come to the conclusion of at this point is that there's no one who stands in the law only with what's found under the sun and that will be found righteous. Not one of you. Not one of us. So what then, if not our efforts, if not our works, what then could ever make us pleasing to God? Because those are the ones who will escape. This is what he's bringing out here. Repentance in what and who? These are, these are good things. Let's think about these because it is repentance that we find here. It is absolutely repentance that we find here. But I want us to ask... What makes a person pleasing? Because here's the, here's the truth. Is oftentimes, even as Christians, we think that our standing with God is what we do. So that we think that if I sin, if I fall, if I fail, then I'm less loved. And this is not the truth that Scripture teaches us. God has an eternal love for you, Christian. An eternal love, unwavering and unchanging. And it was this love, before the foundations of the world, 
that caused him to choose to send his son for you. Right? I hope y'all are following me. So the question then, not works. Not works. We've already, we've already thrown that out the window. It's not works that's making us pleasing to God. So how do we escape this? How do we find freedom from these things that enslave us? How do we find freedom from these snares? How do we stay free? Is it by trying harder? Today, 12 years, 12 years, more than 12 years, 12 years and some months, I'm not going to count the days, that I have been free from the chains that enslaved me. How did I stay free? Was it by trying harder? No, no, friends, it was not by trying harder because you know how I was first set free. It was in the giving up. It was in the, my God, I cannot do this. And if you want me, you're going to have to do something. Because I'm just going to go on in this thing. Because I can't do it, and I'm tired of trying. I don't want to do it. If you want me free, make me free. If you want to keep me, you keep me. Because I can't fight anymore. I can't fight and I'm tired of fighting. So if you want me, you keep me. And how does that happen, church? How does that happen? How does the one who sets us free keep us free? Because it ain't by our works. Because our works couldn't do it from the beginning. What makes us think that our works are going to do it today? What makes us think? What makes me think that if I live on another 60 years, that the thing that's going to keep me free is that I cut the internet off or I cut the TV off or whatever? If there's not something that's been changed in here, if there's not something that's continuing to be changed in here, vanity, vanities. Vanity, vanities. So what then? What then? would cause us to be pleasing to God so that we could escape. The end of verse 26. But sinners will be caught in her snare. Verse 27. My conclusion, says the teacher, I have discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle. Though I've searched repeatedly. Where did he search? He said previous verses that his search was failing. Where did he search? If you look at what we read in 1 Kings chapter 11, he searched in other gods. He was led there by the lust of his heart, the pride of his heart. And he did not find there what he was trying so diligently to find. Where did he find it? Did he find it? Is there any clue? I would tell you, I would tell you that this book is the evidence that he found it. Because what we find here is laying out of repentance. The preaching to others. How crazy was it when I got to chapter 7 and I'm reading through these verses. I'm like, 
what in the world does Ecclesiastes even mean? And I go back and look, and you know what it means? It means preacher. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Ten years, eleven years, twelve years after I told you that I would tell them how to stay free once you set them free. And you bring me here to this verse of all verses. This is repentance. Let's read it. So here's what he found. He didn't find what he was looking for. Only one out of a how many? One out of a thousand men is virtuous, but not one woman. And when you read that, ladies, I know what you think. You think, what a pig. Because I am that Proverbs 31 woman. And what I got to tell you, ladies, is that unless you find the one virtuous man, this statement will ring true of you. Not one of you will find that you are virtuous apart from Christ. And this man that he's speaking of, just like in many places in Scripture, We'll find that the numbers that are used are not necessarily referring to a hard number like a thousand days with the Lord is this a day, right? That's to give us some perspective on time relating to the workings of God. Here we find the same thing. Do you know what we find the truth of this? There is but one righteous man. And he's setting this up comparing to the thousand women, the 700 wives, the 300 concubines, where he searched, where he was led, and he found nothing there virtuous. But do you know that from the fall, God never left us without a promise. Even in the fall, we see a picture a promise made to Adam and Eve that there would be a Messiah. Go back and read it. Go read it. It's there. So don't you think, don't you think, as Solomon, old age, coming to the conclusion that all these women, that all these places, all these gods, all these idols, all of it vain, all of it meaningless, all of it worthless, void, whatever, don't you reckon that he turned back and he looked at Scripture and found the promises that were laid out there. And it brought him to a point of repentance. To the same place that it should bring us, that there is but one man who is righteous. If the only thing that you ever learn from me as a preacher, the only thing, is that Christ is greater. He's greater. And we can end there. Because you can put whatever you want after that. He's greater. He's a fulfillment. This entire thing, pointing to Him, your entire existence, to bring glory to Him. 
for eternity. For eternity. One man. It's all about Christ. And He's come to set you free. And when He sets you free, you are free. You're not free to go chasing after those things that once enslaved you, friends. You are free to go chasing the one that you were created for. And I don't want you to think for a second that He'll fail you in it. For many years, for many years, I wish I'd have had somebody preaching that to me. Because my biggest fear was that it wasn't enough. That it was somehow a fluke. That whatever happened that day, and he wasn't even preaching on sex. He wasn't preaching on porn. The guy said that he wanted his kids to go die for this man. And I'm like, who is this man that you would want your kids to go and die for? Because apparently I don't know that guy. Because I don't have kids yet, and I can tell you I wouldn't be saying that. One man. Know him. Chase after him. It is because of him that you can repent, and it means something. And it's not just to repent one time. You continue in repentance. Daily in repentance. Knowing that today... Is the only day that you have. So friends, if you're fearing, am I going to make it to 90? You got today. Am I going to make it to the year mark? You got today. Chase today. Put to death your fears for tomorrow. How? How? How do you do this? How do you put to death these fears? How do you stay free? Let's turn over. We're going to turn to Romans. Surprise, surprise, right? Love this book. So glad that I was in this book prior to Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> now when Ecclesiastes is done, I'm going to preach to you this whole book. God willing, He doesn't come back or I don't die before then. But we're going to be starting. We're actually going to start in verse 24 of chapter 7. Now when I preach to you chapter 7, it will probably come slightly different than you've probably heard it preached in the past. But we don't have time for that tonight, so we're going to start in seven twenty-four, and we're going to read a good bit through 8. We've read in past messages the latter part of 8. Now what I want you to do is I want you to pay clear attention. And if you go back and read chapter 7, I want you to be asking yourself this. Through chapter 7, where's the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? That's what the question, if you were to go back and be reading chapter 7 of Romans, that you would be asking yourselves, where's the Spirit? Because when the Spirit shows up, we find power. And this is the same thing that we find when we look at the Gospels. When you look at the Gospels, when you look at the book of Acts, what you find is that men on their own who are fearful, men on their own who run, We find one man struck down, raised up. 
He goes to send the Spirit. The Spirit comes. Power, my friends. Power in your life. In your life. Overcoming power. Power that sets you free and will keep you free. Do not doubt it. Let God's Word sink deep into your bones. This is the kind of power that we're talking about. So upon reflecting, if you look in 7, upon reflecting on what it would be like apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives when all we had was what we find in Ecclesiastes. All we had is the law. All we had is what's under the sun. Upon reflecting on this... The conclusion that Paul, and now not this in particular, but this just in general, this idea, this concept of, of life lived apart from Christ and the Spirit, right? Where would we be? What would we be? And in verse 24 he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will, who will free me? Some of you tonight... And many of you, I hope, have asked this question and found the answer. Some of you may have asked this question and not yet had the answer. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that? Do you ever find yourself questioning that? If you do, pick this up. When you're under attack, pick this up. Read this. Arm yourselves with it. Chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did, friends. God did. This is big. God did. You didn't. You couldn't. Coming in contact with the law, you just found yourself to be more and more miserable. God did. It was God who did. And He did for you. And He did for you, not so you could be wallowing in your sin or in your miserable life, but so that you could be living in Him, for His glory. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. You know what freedom is? You have any clue when God says something, what happens? God, God declared, my friends, God declared 
an end. What happened when God said, let there be light? Was there any option? Was darkness going to say, you know, I'll, I'll stick around just a little bit longer? When God declares an end to something, it's final. God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. There's a lot to unpack in there, and I'm just going to hold that one off until we go through Romans uh, verse by verse. Uh, Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Do you remember where we were back in Romans? Or, excuse me, in Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes chapter 26. Or, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 26. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her. I want you to... Look for the verse throughout this, and I want you to see what it's tied to. Right? So I'm going to read verse 5 again. Those who are dominated, and I want to ask you, what are you dominated by? Friend, what are you dominated by? What dominates your life? What patterns and habits are in your life? What dominates you? What controls you? There's some heavy scripture that's coming for us. And we need to be thinking about this. What controls you? What dominates you? What keeps control over your mind, your heart, your desires, your will? What is it? Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. We've been learning that, right? Should be clear up to this point, right? If your sinful nature is controlling you, death. There's some buts in here that I want you to point out, that I want you to notice, some some big stipulations. So letting the sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, it never did obey God's laws, and it never will. So here I'm asking the question again. How are you going to be free? How are you going to stay free? Is it going to be chasing after your sinful nature? Is it going to be chasing after those things that you've been set free from? Is it going to be going back and making yourself lie down with the harlot? What controls you? Your sinful nature controlling you? Your sinful nature is always hostile to to God, verse 7. It never did obey God law, God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So who, who pleases God? Not someone controlled by their sinful nature. Amen? Clear from the text? 
Read it one more time. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God who's escaping. In Ecclesiastes, who's escaping and who's being ensnared. Are you following after your sinful nature? Verse 9, Christian, hear this, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to finish the verse out. Because there's some, there's some big implications to the finishing up of this verse. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of God living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. My friends, you want to know how you are set free? You repent. You repent. You continue in repentance. God will give you the Holy Spirit. It will not be your efforts. You'll find this. This is this is this can't be exp- it can't be explained to a lost person, and 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 I find myself as a Christian still sometimes just bumfuzzled by it because I still find myself at times like I'm 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 running. The Bible tells us to run, but I can't claim that it's me running. It's him running. So we will see running. But it ain't like the running that I was doing before. We'll be fighting. But it ain't like the fighting that we were doing before. It's the Spirit living in us. Warring against the nature that thank God one day will die. There's so many people that would love to live forever. I want to live forever, but I don't want to live in this. I want to be set free. How do you stay free? Here's an amazing truth, man. He keeps you free. You could not set yourself free. And you cannot keep yourself free. But God is faithful. Christians, our lives are to be a testimony of that faithfulness. So here's what I'm telling you. Watch me. Watch me. When I'm 60. When I'm 70. And this is, this is what I tell my wife. You'll know it. You'll know I'm not that man that I was. Because every single day. I'm chasing back. I'm chasing. Sometimes I know this statement scares her. I know it scares you. But I tell her that 
that at the end of my days, I'm not going to be faithful because I'm a faithful person. I'm going to be faithful because He's faithful. And He's faithful to keep me faithful. What an amazing, an amazing God that we serve. One who sets us free to know Him, keeps us free to enjoy Him. One day that we're going to get to spend an eternity seeking after Him. When I see y'all there, when y'all see me there, May, may y'all see me as he sees me covered in the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Oh, I thank you. You are so worthy of honor and glory and I am amazed by you. I don't understand you completely. Sometimes in my fleshly mind, that's frightening. But I count you as faithful. Lord, as Abraham counted you faithful to your word, I count you faithful to your word. You are a faithful, holy, worthy God. That you would find pleasure in us. What a crazy mystery that is. That you would fix your eyes on people like us. That you would change us in spite of us. How can we keep it in? How can we not tell others what a great thing that you have done for us? Lord, I pray for your church. I pray for this nation. pray for our brothers and sisters in other countries who are being persecuted for their faith. May they stand strong when this world is not worthy of them. Lord, that you would train us up in your scripture, that we would have a biblical understanding of you, that we would have a biblical understanding of ourselves, Lord, that we would have a biblical understanding of how we come together as the church and what our purpose as a church is, that we would, Lord, that we would minister to one another. We would be so tightly integrated into one another's lives that it would not take 12 years for us to find out why they are so passionate. Lord, that we would
we would be willing to go into our communities, into our workplaces, Lord, that we would understand that you have given us a spirit of sons and daughters and not a spirit of fearful slaves. Lord, let us live free in you. Let us live out from underneath the cloud of condemnation, knowing that the work of Christ is complete and knowing that the one who started this work in us will be faithful to complete this work. Lord, I thank you for Christ 10,000 times. Nothing meaningless.